It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, with you here on WABC. Talk Radio 77, yes, we are the crown jewel of American radio. You are invited to join our program today. Simply dial 800-848-WABC, 800-848-WABC, numerically, 800-848-9222. And we begin, it is Martin Luther King Day across America, born on the January 15th, actually. And um, it's also my mom's birthday. It would have been her 95th birthday today. Happy birthday, Mom. And we will have with us, I'm very pleased, Dr. Alveda King will join us shortly. I have not spoken with Dr. King, Dr. Alveda King, in ages, so I'm looking forward to having a chat with her. And I hope you will enjoy that chat, too. But I want to talk about Dr. King for a few minutes and the and the civil rights movement. You know, I often wonder how we that lived through part of it. I was a child as some of this was going on, as a lot of it was going on, and I didn't understand the events that were swirling around us in America, except in a periphery way. And then, of course, I was a young reader. So I started reading early on, and I started understanding bits and pieces and more and more as I grew older. But when I look back on my life now, and I realized what was taking place then, one of the first things that strikes me is how young these people were. It wasn't just Dr. King. This was a movement of people. It was people from all around. It was, and this is one of the most remarkable things, ladies and gentlemen, and this is what rarely gets credit today in American society. We had a coalition of Americans from almost every walk of life that joined this movement to stop Democrats in their tracks. Oh, he's going nakedly political. Yes, I am for a moment because this was the reality of the day, folks, whether we want to understand it or or like it or appreciate it or not. The Democrat Party was the party, and to me still is the party, of Jim Crow. And a lot of the racial hatred that had afflicted America in the post-Civil War era came in waves. One of those waves came in with Democrat President Woodrow Wilson, who decided that all of the advancements that had taken place with black people, and there were black people working across the federal government, working and establishing their lives as civil, as middle-class citizens, and this progressive, and he was that, and he is still honored in D.C., by the way, you don't see Democrats and BLM hovering around the Woodrow Wilson Institute demanding that it be taken down. 
But Woodrow Wilson was one of the most racist presidents in our history. And what he did was strip black civil servants of their positions. He resegregated the army. He instituted Jim Crow into the government of the United States of America. And then it spread, of course, like wildfire through states where, in some cases, that had never given up their their hateful views, states in the South. These states in the South were not run by Republicans. The Republican Party was formed by Abraham Lincoln to oppose Democrats and their Jim Crow racist views. Even until the 60s, the 1960s, When many of us were alive, the convention, the Democrat convention, there were battles because they did not want black people, these Democrats, these Southern Democrats, did not want black people in it. And they opposed it. The big filibuster fight that you hear wasn't with Republicans, it was Southern Democrats. And if it were not for Republicans, there would be no civil rights legislation. The civil rights movement, as we know it, would have been stopped legislatively by Southern Democrats, if not for Republicans. That is part and parcel of our history. So, nakedly political, yes. The Democrat Party is synonymous with the racial animus and hatred that consumed this country for almost 100 years, and we are still struggling as a nation in some quarters to get past it. Now, that brings me to Dr. King. By the way, most people don't realize one of the first people that brought Dr. King to Washington, D.C. in a capacity as a leader was Richard Milhouse Nixon. And most people don't realize this. Nixon took a hit in college, was almost thrown out of college for defending a fellow black student. These are little tidbits in history. And if you go throughout history, you'll see a lot of things that don't, that would make you shake your head and say, huh, what, when, what? Because the times have now been so, history has been so rewritten as if there's good guy, bad guy, villain, bad guy, villain, evil, And the villains are always portrayed as Republicans, as the Democrats are trying to do now, portray Republicans as a force against voting rights. And shame, by the way, on the Republican Party for not standing up as a party and telling America, excuse me, they have it all wrong. You know, you can spend millions and millions of dollars in ads. You can spend millions of dollars going to these little conferences that you put on. But you can't ever seem to put on an ad campaign that just says who you are. Excuse me, no, we don't hate black Americans. No, we're not against the right to vote. This is what we stand for as a party. And shame for the Republican Party for not being able to stand up for itself and saying, you know what, that's the way that these people are portraying us, that's not who we are. And in fact, here's the real history. But I want to go back to Dr. King. 
I marvel at Dr. King. If one takes the time to go through his writings, there is some there's something about Dr. King that isn't always emphasized, and that he was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. His beliefs. Okay, you. I, I heard Rudy's remarks on the way out, Doctor. You know, uh, Mayor Giuliani's remarks on the way out, and and I kind of got a vague reference, I think, as to what he was referring to. Doctor King was flawed, like every other human being. He had flaws, but Doctor King was exceptional. He was an exceptional man, and if you go through his writings, you will understand how exceptional he was. Now, he also, Doctor King, had studied Mahatma Gandhi and the movement that took place in India. And that was an incredible, incredible movement. Because that forced the biggest empire on earth at that time, the British Empire, to capitulate and stop its horrific views of the Indian people. Again, took time. Didn't happen overnight. But it was done with nonviolence. And by the way, Mahatma Gandhi was also a flawed individual. He had his own animuses against people, despite the fact that he had his, again, a movement based in morality, based in good, based in nonviolence, based in a belief in God. But you go go back and you look at Dr. King and his life and what he was able to accomplish. And this is where, you know, I was talking the other day about John Lewis John Lewis, to me, sadly became a partisan Democrat Party hack by the time he um, left us. But John Lewis was a hero, young man in his 20s, being beaten up by these Democrat Party thugs, these KKK militia thugs in Alabama, as with so many others. Alabama is the birthplace of my mom. I spent many childhood days in Alabama. Um, we had, according to my mom, family members that were lynched. This is not just theory. This is for many of us. I remember being young and in the Deep South and, and, and being, I remember scenes that at the time didn't make sense. Now they do under the context of what it was like growing up in a, in a, in a police state where blacks were the oppressed people. And that is what it was like living in southern states in the United States of America. Due to the Democrat Party, who had ingrained their racial hatred into law. That did not stop, not just Dr. King, but many, many other of the pioneers of this civil rights movement who decided that they would not only fight for their freedom, and these were young people. These weren't people that had been seasoned by many battles in life. They engaged the battles while they were in the prime of their youth. And they did it with a maturity. And in many cases, a maturity based in their Christian beliefs. That is still stunning when you consider the result. 
And by doing so, by not yielding to the worst instincts, which is to, when someone comes and attacks you, to just beat their ass right back, which is the, the common instinct. Oh, you're coming at me with the fire hose? Well, great, let me come back at you and blow your head off. You're coming at me, beating me with a stick? Let me get a bigger stick and take care of you. No, instead, they said, and they tried to obey spiritual tenets that are so difficult to obey. I mean, we here turn the other cheek. Some of us profess this to be our religion. Some of us profess that this is the way that we live our life. Oh, someone comes at you, turn the other cheek. How difficult is it even to turn your other cheek when someone insults you personally? It's really difficult to turn another cheek. And yet these are people who stood up to being flushed with fire hoses, beaten, having dogs sicked upon them, all because they wanted to live as Americans. They wanted to live their birthright. And it wasn't the only way to go. Malcolm X, who is also a legitimate force, had a very different approach. We're not going to take this anymore. The Black Panthers had a different approach. We're not going to take this anymore. This abuse that the Democrat Party has heaped upon us now for generations. But Dr. King prevailed. And the civil rights movement became a movement that not just changed America, but became later a force that would change, usher in change around the world, including South Africa. Dr. King was an unbelievable man in terms of his understanding and faith in what would happen if he tried to live and lead by doing the right thing in terms of not yielding into the lower impulses of humanity. And I do hope that one day the dream that Dr. King describes so vividly of what he wanted our America to be, a place where we would recognize people first by the content, the content of who they are, their character, rather than this silly notion of looking at someone's skin color. Hope that prevails. Because let me tell you something, that more than anything else is what we need in America right now. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, when we get back, Alveda King. Dr. Alveda King joins us. Please stay here. Bo knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, WABC Talk Radio 77. It is my pleasure and honor to uh, bring on to the program Dr. Alveda King. 
Dr. King, it has been a long time since we spoke. Welcome, and I'm so happy you decided to join us today. I'm glad that you invited me. Hi to you and your listeners. Um, You were 17, Dr. King, when your uncle was assassinated. Yes. You had, I don't know what you, what, of course, those were very busy years. I imagine that, that during those 17 years, I, who knows? Did you spend? Were you able to spend a lot of time with your uncle before? Did you know who he was, in terms of the importance of who your uncle was, or was he just your uncle, and you were just you know part of the extended family there? My father, Reverend A. D. King, was very close to his brother. They were best friends. They marched and went to jail together, and finally, both lost their lives to the movement. So I marched and went to jail. I was a youth organizer during the 1960s, got married in 1969. So I did know my uncle. I was also like a little babysitter to some of their children. I'm 12 years older than his daughter, uh, he and Uncle Red's daughter, Bernice King, for example. So I knew Martin Luther King Jr., and I learned a lot from listening to his sermons during those 17 years. Now, there's a wonderful article today in Fox, and you you went through a lot of your beliefs and what your uncle believed. And Mm -hmm. so one of the things I want to point to is that you said that he actually did his best to live the examples that he spoke and he wrote about. And you you say that there are a few things that we should do today, try to be more... Like, like Jesus Christ, ask for forgiveness, forgive others, be a living example of those tenets in daily life. When you think about what, the, what it is, the legacy that your uncle left behind for all of America and the world, how do you define that legacy? The legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., certainly in civil rights as a leader of the great civil rights movement of the 20th century is history. It's a great legend. But what has to be added to that is his legacy as a prophet and a preacher. And uh, nobody's perfect, so nobody's like Jesus Christ, but we all try to be like Jesus Christ and to try to live that. His dad, Reverend Martin Luther King Sr., for example, would say, I'd rather see a, a, see a, certain, uh, see a sermon than to hear one any day. My dad, Reverend A.D. King, people are more concerned about making a living than making a life. So in the case wait, 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 I'm sorry, would you repeat that? People are more concerned about making a living than making a life. Wow. And so that was something my dad, Reverend A.D. King, would say. So that's part of the legacy that people don't know, the spiritual uh, part of who Martin Luther King Jr. still is. He lives in heaven, but if you read his sermons, you will learn quite a bit. And looking at the country now, when you see things like these, the, the things that we are all concerned with, the, uh, the, the critical race theory, all of these things, look, I, don't, I, don't, I, I hate asking you, well, what would your uncle think? Your uncle wrote, so, there is so much on record, all we have to do is yes. read it. Read what he said. And, you know, he would often say, we must learn to live together as brothers, all that as sisters, or perish together as fools. He didn't say cousins, neighbors. Acts 17:26, he quoted, uh, one blood. And so we are one human race and one blood. He said he also had a dream that one day there would be no white power, no black power, only God power and human power. And so you could really hear from him critical race theory. That's one critical race, the human race. 
And we have to have dignity, human dignity, from the womb to the tomb. Now, I noticed today there were a lot of, um, you know, stories about, oh, the King family is out marching with uh, for the for this new voting. But it was not all of the King family. It was some of the King family. And like every family, I'm sure that there are many points of view in the family as to the proper ways to proceed in public policy. But the the idea is when when you see people trying to to assume the the king mantle for themselves or for their own political power, what is how do what, what do you think about that? What does that do? Well, I am with the America First Policy Institute. I'm the chairman of the Center for the American Dream. And Martin Luther King Jr. himself said he has, you know, he was deeply rooted in the American dream. His dream is deeply rooted in the American dream. So, for example, when his children say, well, we can't celebrate because we don't have fair rights for voting. Certainly, we want voting to be fair and easy. We want everybody to find it easy to vote and hard to cheat. And we do need to work very hard to accomplish that. So I believe that the more emphasis is on his uh, other aspects of his life rather than his ministry and the Bible. So I like to think that I'm bringing balance. So if they want to talk about the voting and all of that, that's what they need to talk about. And then I bring the spiritual aspect so that you can get a well-rounded picture. You know, I I remember as a child, um, I remember this period. I remember... Some of the abject hatred. I'm I'm sorry, Doctor King, but I do. I remember the abject hatred that your uncle faced when he decided that he wanted to fight for the rights of sanitation workers. When he right. wanted to start talking about now, he he wasn't some leftist out talking about he economic justice in the sense that. We all should just be, you know, granted universal income or stuff like that. What he wanted was an economic, from my point of view, he wanted to see people that were, that got an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. Right. Well, you know, my dad was killed the next year as well in the same movement. He was leading the poor people's march that his brother had started. So we do know that there has been unfairness, there has been racism, because people thought that one race was more superior than the other. That does have to be taught. We need to know that and know the fullness of our history. But for it to be well balanced, we also know that Martin, in his own eulogy, said he wasn't fearing any man. He didn't hate anybody. So if we put all of that together, we would be more successful in our efforts to move together in unity towards victory. So you can't isolate one aspect of what has been wrong without giving the fullness and the solution in all of Martin Luther King's sermons, Martin Luther King Jr.'s sermons, would still lead us to God. Talk for us for a minute in our final minutes that we have about your dad. Well, Reverend Alfred Daniel Williams King, the brother of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and they were sons of Martin Luther King Sr., their sister Christine King Ferris is still living today. So if you would think about my dad, he was a preacher. And he was committed to the civil rights movement as his brother was. He was a husband, a father, a son. And uh, I believe 
in, in many of my books, I refer to them as the sons of thunder, like James and John in the Bible. They live together, and they are in heaven together now. Wow. What an amazing legacy that you are continuing, Dr. King. And how can people find you um, if if they want to find out more about what you're doing? Alveda King, A-L-V-E-D-A King dot com. Speak, F-O-R, Speak for Life. That is my pro-life ministry, speakforlife.org, and at the America First Policy Institute. Dr. Alveda King, it is certainly an honor and a pleasure to have you. I hope that we have more conversation in the days ahead. I do, too. Thank you so much. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley here at WABC. Thanks to Dr. Alveda King for joining us. Your calls are coming up. 800-848-9222. 800-848-WABC. Coming back after this. Now, here's the soul of excellence. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, with you this afternoon. David Ruffin brings us back. The one, the only voice. It's not that I don't love you. You know how much I do. That voice from The Temptations. The lead singer of The Temptations, David Ruffin. James Golden, listen, we had a momentous event over the weekend, and we are just starting to see some of the ramifications. The swearing-in of Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin and his Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, and on day one in his office, uh, Glenn Youngkin signed a series of executive orders, including one that bans critical race theory being taught in his state, but the one that has seemed to catch fire with certain liberals is an executive order that allows parents to opt out of a state mask mandate. And no less than Jen Psaki, the arrogant, hypocritical spokesperson for Joe Biden, has been compelled, there's a story in American Wire News today, to openly cheer defiance of the new governor's ban on mask mandates at public schools. And what what all the <clears throat> the new governor is saying is, look, parents, you have a choice here. And this is something that, that Jen Psaki, the arrogant Jen Psaki, simply cannot abide, that American parents should have a choice in how their children are being raised and how their children are being treated in the schools that they, as American taxpayers, pay for. She's beside herself, writing all sorts of divisive tweets. And because she's also in Arlington County. And so this is a case that will definitely, according, there's another story out of Fox News, 
about this Youngkin's school mask mandate ban set to be the next legal front in the culture war and is clearly headed for litigation. Well, we welcome the litigation. And we and I think that Governor Youngkin, in what he's doing in the early days of office, is setting forth a template that will help the Republican Party, not just in 2022, but 2024. If you look at Ron DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida, Governor Christy Nome in South Carolina, we now have another governor who is rooted in constitutional freedom and liberty and unafraid to go up against the status quo of liberalism in a state. Now, Ron DeSantis has been able to, because he has been so outspoken and so non-yielding to these liberal authoritarians, he has been able to persuade the people of Florida that their best interests are with the Republican Party. And Democrats are now in amazing political trouble in Florida. If Glenn Youngkin Winsome Sears, if this and the new AG there, I I forget his name at the moment, if they follow through with this, we could potentially see an about face in Virginia, no longer a purple state, no longer a blue state. We could be watching the beginning of Virginia returning back to a red state. This is how powerful what is happening is taking in that state is taking place. Maxine Waters is now attacking members of her own party. Maxine Waters says that by not advancing this, this killing the the, uh, the filibuster, that Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona do not care about minorities. They don't care about black people. That's what Maxine Waters said. They've sent a signal. They've been clear about it. They don't care about minorities. They don't care about blacks. They don't care about people in their own districts who they're going to deny their voting rights and undermine their voting rights. Uh, Maxine Waters, actually, over the last 20 years, I think that many people in your own district would say it's you that don't that they think doesn't care about black people. It's you that they that doesn't care about people in the in the district. You, Maxine Waters, how dare you point your racist little finger out at people just because they refuse to bend to your will on a political bill. How dare you? You've been sitting in South Central for twenty years or more. What have you done? To help people, what have you done, Maxine Waters, except flap your gums? <sighs> Rich, telephones, where do we go? All right. Am I, am I here? Good afternoon, James. We are going to begin today in Queens and say hi to Rich. Rich, welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77. James Goldman. Yeah, hi, James. Hi, Bo. Uh, listen, uh, last week you had that thing about... Uh, Jill Biden's theme song. Yeah. And yeah, but you know what? I found one that's even better than uh, the F Troop. You got to check it out on on um, 
you know, Google um, the Mayberry Band. <laughs> okay. You, would say, you really got to hear it, man. They're, like, really funny. And, you know, I think for Joe Biden, instead of uh, Hail to the Chief, they probably should just play uh, the funeral dirge, you know? <laughs> oh, I love it. Now, for folks that don't know what's going on here, last week our Princess of Policy, Diana Mee, uh, brought to our attention that, that First Lady Jill Biden has demanded, and this is not a joke, it is not satire, we're not kidding. Joe Biden has demanded her own theme music, just as when the president walks into a room, Hail to the Chief is played, and now Joe Biden has her own fanfare. I guess we're calling it for the time being Hail to the Chief at, or whatever it is. And, Rich, do we have it? Uh, hang on. I think we have it here. What this? What might this be? Here it is. This is yes, this is Jill Biden's music. Now, many of many of our listeners heard it says, wait, this sounds familiar. It sounds like it reminds me of this. The end of the Civil War was near when quite accidentally A hero who sneezed, abruptly ceased, retreat and reversed it to victory His medal of honor pleased and thrilled his proud little family group some blood was spilled, and so it was planned he'd command F troop. Where Indian fights are colorful sights, and nobody takes a licking when pale face and red skin both turn chicken. When drilling and fighting get them down, they know their morale and troop. As long as they all relax in town before they resume with a bang and a boom. F troop. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the Joe Biden theme will live on for us here at WABC. Now, as a result of all of that, we are going to be introducing either later this week or on the Saturday show another theme song, yet another theme song. We have a theme for our princess of policy, Diana Me. But that'll come later in the week. But that's what that was all about. And and again, not satire. We're not joking one more time, Rich, Joe Biden's theme music. Joe Biden demanded her own music. This is Dr. Jill Biden's theme song when she comes out in an official capacity. Coming right back. More of your calls coming up. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, here on WABC. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on 77 WABC. 
this out folks if you're wondering you're saying to yourself i haven't heard that in decades <laughs> thank you rich Rodabali. he just manages to pull out the hits you know i'm perusing the library and i see these songs and i'm saying i gotta play this for james love it man hey rich well let's go back to the phones where do we go we are gonna go to north brunswick new jersey and say hi to tony hello tony welcome wabc talk radio 77 Thank you, and I love your message. Dr. King was a prolific thinker. And when you go back, if you read, if you read his letters from the Birmingham jail, if you go back, and those are the most famous, but there is an entire book of the writings of Dr. King, and I have not read the whole thing. I've read many, because it's a lot. Our call is right. There's so much that he has written. But when you go through it, he was a man that was steeped in philosophy, as well as religion, as well as his his he was an intellectual as well as a common sense preacher and a man this man was an incredible personality which is why he rose to become the face of the civil rights movement where do we go next we're going to stay in new jersey and say hi to carol hi carol welcome wabc james golden aka bosner hi, hi. hi. Um, i i wanted to bring up Reverend Abernathy, because he was there when uh, Dr. King was killed. He actually cradled him in his arms after he was shot, which makes me want to cry. Um, yes, Dr. Ralph was, Ralph David Abernathy. Ralph Abernathy, that's right. Um, he said on several occasions that he didn't believe that James Earl Ray killed Dr. King. He said it on several occasions. Well, you know, look, I th- that whole thing, it, yeah, if you yeah. go back through that time period, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but it was remarkable that an unemployed, an unemployed convict could make his way to England without being detected. And there were a lot of questions about the actual assassination of Dr. King, but James Irway did confess to it when he was in jail, so I'm gonna, I'll just leave it at that. But you know what else your call just sparked in terms of controversy? A lot of people don't know. These are little tidbits. There was a big hue and cry because Jesse Jackson 
This is when Doc. This is when Jesse Jackson kind of rose to fame, right after the assassination of Dr. King, and he was in the streets with blood on a shirt. That the implication was it, that it was Dr. King's blood on his shirt, and of course there was a lot of controversy about that because he was not there at the time. Um, if you recall, and you can go back and look at the pictures of what happened at the at the motel in in um, Tennessee, and it was uh, in Memphis. And Andrew Young was there, who later became the mayor of Atlanta and, of course, rose to prominence. Um, and there was a lot of power struggles that were going on back then to try to claim power, as there always are power struggles. But Dr. King was exceptional, and that is why coming out of this incredible age in American history, he is the universal face of the civil rights movement, at least the good aspects of it. The fact that we were able to defeat the Democrat parties. And this was, this is no small matter, folks. This was state, federal government, Jim Crowism on a federal level and on a state level in the South. And it had ingrained itself into American society. And Dr. King and those with him, and there were many, hundreds, were able to turn this around in this country largely nonviolently. It was a nonviolent revolution that took place. And it took place on the basis of Uh, of reminding people what the promise of America was and challenging us to live up to who we were as a nation. And if you go back and you look at that speech, the I Had a Dream speech, what Dr. King asked all of us to do was to look inside our lives and to simply live up to being Americans and ask America to live up to being America. So that freedom, and, and, and you listen to him talk about freedom and liberty and how it should ring out in every single hamlet across this nation, in every single, in every single city, in every single part of America. Freedom, our birthright. He did not condemn America. He loved America. And what he asked was that we as Americans love our own birthright as American citizens and live up to it and help bring and spread that freedom for all of us. And this is something that many of us stand for today. We want freedom and liberty, the freedom and liberty that was enshrined in our Constitution to become part of the daily lives of all Americans, not just some. It is the fight for the America that we all want and that we have been growing toward since our inception as a nation. Right now, the forces that hate America still hate it. They're trying to tear this country down. They're trying to tell you that this country is not worthy of being the world superpower. This country is not worthy of being the light of freedom. 
in the world, that this country is not worthy of holding the lamp of liberty for the world. And yet, and they say that because of our past. Our past should tell the world one thing. It is possible. It is possible to rise against whatever the political failings are of a day and to advance yourself based on the constitutional provisions that our forefathers wrote into this Constitution. We did not, at our birth in America, conquer the political challenges that lay before us. But what this document did, our founding documents, will provide a roadmap where we could continue as a country to evolve, to grow, to become that more perfect union of people where freedom, where liberty would be the guiding principle of how we govern ourselves as a nation. And if we were allowed to do that, prosperity would rain down upon us. And my friends, America is still so much alive. We are still a young nation. We are still a nation that holds the lamp of freedom, that holds the lamp of liberty, that holds the lamp of what is possible if human beings are allowed to live up to their potential, to their God-given potential. This potential does not come from law written by man. This potential comes from our inherent beings as children of God. And that is what our forefathers put into our Constitution. This is what separated America from every other nation on this earth. And this is what has allowed America, in spite of our own flaws, to continue to to more people on this planet than any other nation in history. And we have so many people to thank as part of our and be grateful for in our American experience. Today we honor one of them, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and those in the Civil Rights Movement. But it goes far deeper than that, my friends. We are standing on the shoulders of great people in this world, our founders. Yes, many of them were flawed. All of them were flawed. We're all human beings. But then we have many of those people who have stood up. We stood up against the evil that came from the Axis powers in World War II. And we were able to prevail. We stand up today against these forces of socialism that want to rip this country apart. And it's our duty to continue the fight. America is the greatest nation. And we have the potential yet to be so much greater. To bring more peace to the world. To bring more prosperity to the world. To be a place where American citizens can live with respect for each other and we all can take part in this wonderful American dream. 
James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. Thank you for being with us today. Tomorrow, we hope you'll, you'll return. New York City strong. Greatest city in the world. America, the greatest nation humanity has ever witnessed. God love, God protect, bless each and every one of you. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.